For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. That's the passage commonly known as the Beatitudes. This is the word of our Lord. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Our glorious God, we thank you for your word. We pray to bless the proclamation of it. We pray that you be with me as I preach. We pray to be with those that are listening to this message. We pray that your spirit will be working in a mighty way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The idea of blessing somebody is not part of the American culture. Sure, we might talk about being a blessing to somebody else, but we rarely speak a blessing to someone. In, in Brazilian culture, at least as I was growing up, it, it, it is very common to see a younger person going to an older relative and asking for his or her blessing, especially at bedtime. But for us here, we are not used to it. We often become uncomfortable with pronouncements of blessings, such as we have at the end of our services. Well, it is not so in biblical culture, and I don't mean the cultures that were around in Bible times, but the culture of the biblical record itself. The whole Bible is structured in terms of blessings and curses because it is structured in terms of the covenants that God made with Himself and with His people. I would like for us to consider this morning verses 3 and 4 of Matthew 5, but before we do that, I would like for us to consider the covenantal structure of God's dealing with His people, then the idea of blessing will become more obvious to us. When we understand that God deals with us by way of covenant, and covenant by necessity includes blessings and curses, then we are going to be able to understand the Beatitudes in a much better way. So, let's take a look at the covenantal structure of God's dealing with His people. Adam was to receive the blessing of eternal life in communion with God, but he failed to obey God and received the curse of death. At that point, God promised that he was going to provide the one who was going to destroy his enemies and remove the curse in the famous verse called the Proto-Evangelion, or the first or the anticipation of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, where God says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head, led Paul to later on say in Romans 5.17 this, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the, the one, much more 
those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And as God develops his covenantal relationship with his people, he calls Abraham and promises to him that all the nations will be blessed through him, and he identifies his people now by the sign of circumcision. And as history develops, as the history of redemption of God's people develop, in preparation for the coming of the Redeemer, God gives his people the covenant at Sinai, the one we often call the Mosaic Covenant, which is structured all around blessings and curses. Uh, if you were to read uh, Deuteronomy 28, you would uh, uh, really see that. If you want to taste the, uh, the structure of the Mosaic Covenant, being around all blessings and curses, if you take a look at Deuteronomy 28, you see that. Uh, for example, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today as against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, uh, Therefore, choose life that both of you and your descendants may live. The Old Testament prophets kept on calling the people of God back to the terms of the covenant. They reminded God's people of the blessings and curses of the covenant. Then God finished revealing His covenant of grace in the institution of the new covenant. It seems to be all blessings when you read about the new covenant, but someone must account for the curse of disobedience. And Christ is that one. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's why it is so serious when somebody who received the covenant sign of baptism turns away from the Lord. He or she no longer has the one who can stand in his place and receive the curse of the covenant. So we find that stern warning in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, where the author says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. But at the end of the day, people of God, our blessing is Christ. Christ is the covenant blessing. In Genesis 22, verse 18, God tells Abraham, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And then in Galatians 3, Paul interprets that as talking about Christ. In Galatians 3, verse 16 and 29, Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, And to the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, the Old Testament ends in a gloomy note. In Malachi 4, verses 4 through 6, we read, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commended him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. 
Malachi says, remember the law of Moses. But yet, the people of God had been crushed by the law of Moses. They lived under the yoke of the law till eventually Elijah came leading the way for the Son of Righteousness. And Jesus Christ himself tells us that John the Baptist was, was that Elijah leading the way to him. In Matthew 11, for example, uh, Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. It is no coincidence that the settled canon of the Old Testament ends with a curse, and the canon of the New Testament starts with the first public word that comes from Christ's mouth being blessed in Matthew chapter 5. Christ himself is the blessing of the covenant. The parables of the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price illustrates this idea that it is finding Christ that is the ultimate blessing. But he is also the one who blesses the church as we see it here in Matthew 5. In Hebrews 13, it tells us that it's through the, the blood of the everlasting covenant, through the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep, that we are going to be made complete. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul says that God blesses us in Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And that's it's what's going on here. And the, the Beatitudes, when we understand the Beatitudes in this covenantal context, then the Beatitudes make more sense. Not only the Beatitudes, but the whole, the entire Sermon on the Mount are given to those who have entered into a covenantal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In essence... The Beatitudes are covenantal blessings poured upon God's people, the church. These are not requirements for entrance into the kingdom, but a description of those who belong to the king. Every one of the eight descriptions should be in some measure a description of you if you profess to be a Christian. If we don't find not even the slightest evidence of any of these things in our lives, we must turn to Christ for the redemption of our lives. So as we think uh, about the Beatitudes, it is important to keep in mind the already and not yet tension that is built in all of them. This is who we are in Christ. The Beatitudes describe who we are in Christ. We don't come to Christ and then become these things. On the other hand, we are to cultivate these things that are part of our new self in Christ. uh, Colossians 3 Help us understand what I'm talking about. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, which you have, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We who believe in Jesus are in heavenly places. We are perfect. We are like Christ in heaven. And yet, we are becoming that in our lives as well. So, when we we apply that to the attitudes, we are poor in spirit, and we cultivate the poverty of spirit. We are in the peacemakers, and we cultivate peacemaking in our lives. We are the meek, and we cultivate meekness in our lives. And that's how we need to understand the uh, Beatitudes. And as we come now to verses 3 and 4, we see that poverty and grief are blessings from God. Christ says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
the Christian is poor in spirit. This has nothing to do with our finances or a depressive mindset. In the Old Testament, the poor is almost a technical term for a particular group of people. In Psalm 34, verse 7, uh, there the psalmist speaks about this poor man who called on the Lord and was saved. In Psalm 40, verse 17, the psalmist describes himself as poor and needy and asks the Lord to remember him and deliver him. Other statements in the Psalms underline the fact that to be poor is to be weak and helpless, to be dispossessed and lack the resources to defend and save oneself. As Psalm 69 verses 32 and 33 says, the poor are the needy and the captives who seek God as their only refuge and salvation. And by adding the words in spirit, Jesus grabs this understanding of poverty and applies to our relationship to the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. The ones who are poor in spirit, the kingdom belongs to them. Sinclair Ferguson says, Jesus is describing the person who sees his spiritual bondage, is conscious of the debt of his sins, and knows that in himself he is dispossessed before God. All he can do is cry for mercy and depend upon the Lord. And there are two parables that um, that really illustrate well this idea of being poor in spirit. One of them is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, where the Pharisee stands before uh, the Lord and says, I'm a great man. I'm, I thank you that I'm not like this other man. I do all these great things. And yet the tax collector just stood in the back, beating his chest, says, saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says he went home justified. He was the one who was poor in spirit. The other one is the prodigal son in Luke's chapter um, uh, 16. The, the prodigal son left his father proudly self-assured in his share of the inheritance. He asked the money and he left. And he went to live, a, as the scripture says, a riotous life. When he was bankrupt, he came to himself and in poverty of spirit, emptied of all his pride, he came to his father empty-handed, no longer full of himself, but looking only for whatever his father might be pleased to give him. He says, I'm not even worthy of being your son, but make me like a hired servant. Uh, Horatius Bonar really captures well this idea of being poured in spirit in his hymn, where he says, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Your voice alone, O Lord, can speak to me of grace. Your power alone, O Son of God, can all my sin erase. No other work but yours, no other blood will do, no strength but what that which is divine can bear me safely through. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. For us to be rich, and possess the kingdom of God, we must first lose all, including ourselves and our self-centeredness, and become what we are in Christ, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, the, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christ continues, though, in verse 4, He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Christians mourn over their sins. So alongside this understanding that we have nothing to offer God, that we are poor in spirit, comes a sincere grief of our sins. It seems contradictory that he who is happy is the one who mourns, but there is no contradiction here. Notice that it is the one who mourns who is comforted. You cannot be comforted unless you mourn over your sins. This tells us that there is no comfort apart from mourning over sin. That was Paul's experience in Romans 7 where he's struggling with sin. And he concludes by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that there is now no condemnation to those who follow Jesus Christ. That was Isaiah's experience when he was before the thrice holy God. In Isaiah 6, verses 5-7, through 7, we read, Woe is me, for I am undone. When he realizes where he is, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. It is in direct relationship to Isaiah's crying out mourning over his sin that the angel comforts him. It is the sight of the holy God against whom we have sinned that will bring comfort because He is also the one who forgives sins. Psalm 130 gives us a great example of this where in verses 3 and 4 the psalmist says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And it's not just the fear of being discovered that overwhelmed the psalmist. It is the, the knowledge that he has offended the Lord that fills him with shame and grief. The sinner hates his sin and grieves over it because it is, it is an offense against God. But he mourns over it all the more because it's the this, this, this same God forgives him. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, there is a reference to Jesus Christ where he says that his people mourn for the one whom they themselves pierced. You see, it is grace that makes us mourn for our sinfulness. The law of God convicts us of our sin, but it is the grace of God that melts our hearts and causes us to have the right attitude toward that sin in sorrow, shame, and mourning. And as as we think of this, there are two things to keep in mind. Whenever a Christian is conscious of his sin, he will be grieved by it, but he's not is not in a constant state of despair because he turns to Christ for forgiveness and comfort. If you're going to be a, the mournful, you're going to be mourning over your sins by turning to Christ for repentance. And the second thing is that a rounded spiritual experience involves stretching our emotional responses to the gospel, not narrowing it, narrow, narrowing it. Christians are not Stoics. Christians have a much broader spectrum of emotion than the non-Christian. A citizen of the kingdom of heaven knows higher joys and deeper sorrows. His or her emotional sensitivities becomes greater, not less. We are able to feel things much more intensely because we have the Spirit of God. 
Now, do you think that Jesus was serious about this when he said these, these Beatitudes? Well, listen to what the prophet Isaiah says concerning the ministry of Jesus and Jesus claims for himself. He claimed, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, this passage is about him. And look what Isaiah says, or God says to the prophet in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. The poor in spirit. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. If you mourn of your sins, if you, if you are a poor in spirit, it means that Christ has planted you as the tree of God, the tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that He is being glorified in you. May this be true of you. May we be poor in spirit that we might inherit the kingdom of heaven. May we mourn over our sins for... God then will comfort us. May Christ reign supreme in blessing us through the cross.